Hello, everyone. My, my name is Enrique Menendez. I'm the Senior Features Editor at Hypebeast. We are so excited to have you join us today to present the findings of this report with you. I joined Hypebeast close to two years ago, and my focus here has been on strengthening our original content. Prior to working at Hypebeast, I've worked in both contemporary art and fashion in Shanghai and London, working for publications including the business of fashion. And my main focus now, and specifically in the past several years, has been looking at streetwear and this movement with a close analytical eye. And we're so excited to bring some of that to you today. And we're also so excited to have Axel join us here from Germany. Thank you. So first of all, thank you very much uh, from my side to all of you for being here in the morning. Uh, it's, it's amazing when we discuss the invitations uh, and I thoughts coming more from the traditional world of the business. Uh, also, very special thanks to Enrique and the team uh, for having set this up. As said, my name is Axel. Um, I'm working for Strategy End, which is the strategy consulting house within PwC. All of you have heard PwC and think those are accountants. Well, indeed, we are not. Uh, I do strategy consulting, and I'm really passionate about consumers and brands. I've been doing this for more than 15 years, uh, having worked several years in the fashion industry for brands, for Europe's leading multi-label department store. And in these days, in particular, the digital transformation is driving my clients, is driving me. Uh, what does it mean for consumers? What does it mean for companies? How to react, how to be successful? And I think having this in mind, I think a bit of a year ago almost, um, we met. I think you reached out. Yes. And then this idea started. And before we go into the findings, I think it's well worth a bit explaining why we did this. Absolutely. So as Axel has said, we started working on this report over a year ago. And a year and a half ago, streetwear had definitely already blown up. And since then, it's continued to grow and gain steam. And at the time, and even now, in-depth reporting, analytical reporting around streetwear was and is limited. As Hypebeast is the leading authority on streetwear, we set out to change that. We wanted to challenge the role of a B2C media company and think about how we could leverage our expertise of this consumer to bring valuable insights. And we're so happy to have found a firm to partner with to complete this. So, um, well, for us, uh, it was interesting. And I got asked the question, well, actually, why does PwC, why does Strategy End gets involved in streetwear and partners with Hypebeast? And my answer was and is uh, very straightforward, because we think the insight we generate uh, leading streetwear is something exciting. It's not only growing, but it's on the forefront regarding some trends, how consumers behave, and it also shows very different principle how the industry behaves uh, compared to, let's say, more traditional fashion companies. And if I say traditional, it's not the old world, it's already the traditional fast fashion, which uh, reaches its limitations. Having said this, we thought it's exciting, uh, and in particular, exciting to do primary research, really reaching out to the consumers on a global scale to understand how does the consumer tick, but also looking at the industry, what are the underlying mechanics. And to be frank, also we can share this. I think we started this with having a vision, having an idea. Yes. Um, we thought, well, it, it's cool. They bring very different capabilities than we do. Correct. 
we shared a passion for fashion. Both yes. sides are very curious. Yes. But I think we were not 100% aware of the journey. Absolutely. Um, so today is very exciting for us. Yes. So what is this about? I think if I would need to nail it down, saying three words, three main principles, it's about a movement, it's about authenticity, and certainly about scarcity. And we will touch base certainly every single building block of this more in detail. I think you will start right with the movement explaining this is more than just buying sneakers or buying luxury goods which are co-branded. The authenticity, we, we think it's really to understand, really important because those consumers show a very specific behavior with a certain trend and needs and thinking within that community. But we think we can learn a lot and there's also a lot of things we will see in other segments uh, in the future. And last but not least, scarcity. What is an industry doing? They must do a lot of right in a world where actually everybody says, I want it now, everything, wherever I want, Netflix, I get the movie. So the mechanics are way different and we do want to understand this. What did we do to understand it? Um, it was great fun. Uh, <laughs> we designed the survey. It was a lot of work. Uh, we said, well, let's try to be global and let's hope that we get enough respondents. We were extremely nervous. Uh, do we commit to 5,000, 8,000, a bit negotiating down our figures? And I think when we put it live, after 24 hours, we had like more than 20,000 20, people responded. At the end of the day, it's uh, 40,960 consumers uh, on a global scale. For every single market, it's a four digits figure. What is amazing, certainly Asia, Europe, North America, biggest markets, but it's really amazing. So there's like every country with hundreds or thousands of respondents. And I'll add to that that the survey was distributed in six different languages, English, simplified Chinese, traditional Chinese, French, Japanese, and Korean. Um, through Hypebeast global sites. So these respondents and these responses are going direct to these regional consumers. Then on top of this, we said, well, let's, let's try to capture both perspectives, the consumers, but also the industry perspectives. How do managers, how do perhaps you participate it? Would be interesting to know. How do your colleagues think about it? How is this evolving? What do they do? So second survey, Again, uh, amazing respondents. And last but not least, we said, well, let's do some in-depth discussions along a couple of key critical points. And I think we got a really amazing list of people we talked to. Um, and certainly we will share this, what they're thinking about streetwear and the trend going forward is. Why is it important? Why is it exciting? Because it's, it's big, it's amazing figures. Um, a couple of things to share. I think it, it's very interesting to understand why a sneaker resells for 500% of its original value, why in fashion products have a 99% sell-through rate, at the same time the whole industry is fighting markdowns, oversupply, end-of-season stock, why drops of a lifestyle brand create so much attention, or at a point of time when a lot of private equity houses more back up trying to sell fashion assets, valuation goes down. There's a one billion uh, evaluation for a streetwear brand and a very, very good private equity investor, Carlisle, went into this. Something is going on um, and we think uh, it's, it's still on the rise. So what is streetwear? This question is actually what started this year and a half journey. 
to answer that question. And above all, streetwear is a movement. It doesn't stop at fashion. It intersects with music, art, politics. It's a mindset. And where did this movement start? The problem is streetwear by nature is on the ground and underground, which means in the very beginning, in the genesis, streetwear was happening in ways that were difficult and are difficult to detect. But we have key brands, figures, communities that we can point to as being leaders and pioneers for what we now call streetwear. And much of this comes from communities like hip hop, skate, surf, street art, cultures that at the time were considered counterculture and now are considered primary culture. And when we think about these communities, what was happening is and was very simple. People were wearing t-shirts and hoodies because that's what they liked. And Daniel Arsham put it quite nicely when we spoke to him, saying this is basically just what my friends and I were wearing. And these communities, at the time, most of them were largely populated by men, which naturally meant that the style was a traditionally masculine style. And it was, in fact, an antidote, antithesis to larger fashion. And at its core, it was just this idea of a simple form of self-expression that was putting a word on a t-shirt. But like any major cultural, artistic, and historical movement, what we can now see in hindsight is that streetwear popped up very quickly in other parts of the world. We have the East Coast and the West Coast of the US. We have London. And then we have as far east as Tokyo in the 80s and 90s. And we have key figures like Hiroshi Fujiwara, Nigo, designers, DJs, who were very much responsible for interacting these, with these cultures in the United States and bringing it to Japan. But this mindset would not have caught fire globally if the world wasn't ready for it. And so what does that mindset come down to? What differentiates streetwear from traditional fashion? We asked consumers why they like streetwear, and these were the top five reasons. Comfortable clothing, exclusivity, status symbol, cool, and community. Several of these are not surprising, and they're also very important to traditional luxury fashion. But we also have new players, comfortable clothing, and community. Most importantly, though, is how streetwear combines these components to redefine exclusivity. With traditional luxury fashion, its highest barrier to entry is price point. That's where exclusivity begins. And with the traditional fashion model, first you had to be able to afford it, and then the people who could afford it relied on editors, fashion publications, traditional fashion institutions to tell them where to spend their money. Streetwear has taken that model, subverted it, and flipped it on its head. And the power instead lies within the community. And instead of price point, streetwear's exclusivity, especially in the early days, was dependent on know-how. So you had to know what to buy, how to buy it, and where to get it. And accessing that information only came as a result of direct interaction with other people in this community. So what happened when you saw someone else on the street wearing a pair of sneakers, and what still happens, is a power of inclusivity that has perhaps otherwise only been matched by an Hermes Birkin at the height of its reign. Except instead of $40,000 uptown on Park Avenue and a woman seeing another woman's handbag, it's anyone on the train seeing someone wearing a pair of sneakers. And the difference in price point is anywhere from $20,000 to $40,000.
And so what Streetwear did was create a foundation for exclusivity, create a foundation for cool that was dependent on something completely different from what traditional fashion was dependent on. And it's rooted in a mindset that essentially does away with any traditional institutions. And this mindset and this expression, this straightforward form of self-expression doesn't talk, doesn't stop with fashion. And in fact, this mindset and idea is probably easy to pinpoint as early as the 60s with Andy Warhol, who questioned what art was and who it was for. Jean-Michel Basquiat and Keith Haring quickly extended that conversation to street art, again asking what art was and who it was for. We later saw hip-hop, R&B do the same. Fashion has just sort of been the latest to the party. And although streetwear has been budding, now streetwear is questioning what fashion is and who it's for. And beyond that, it's questioning what luxury fashion is and who it's for. And what we see underlying all of this is the convergence of popular culture with luxury culture. And in the end, streetwear is not simply a trend within fashion. It's the fashion component of a larger popular cultural shift that spans music, fashion, art, and politics. And so now who is this consumer? As Axel mentioned in our, our second pillar, authenticity. So at the core, this consumer knows what's real and they're not afraid to call it out. You can visit the comment section of our website to learn a thing or two about that. Um, <laughs> and this is so important to understanding how streetwear has taken over. Before social media was mainstream, before we had Instagram, before we had MySpace, streetwear was existing on forums. So streetwear users basically invented the way social media now works. And what streetwear consumers were doing was going to forums to find that oh so valuable information about what was cool, what to buy, and where to buy it. So whereas the rest of fashion basically had to catch up and figure out what the social media thing was, streetwear was already there. And the fact that these two things, social media and streetwear, have risen at the same time are not a coincidence. They're intrinsically linked. And so one of the interesting things when we discovered you know, with our survey to consumers and to the industry, first of all, asking consumers what figures they consider the most credible in streetwear. The most credible figures they identified were musicians, followed by industry insiders, then contemporary artists, and then social media influencers, with only 30% of respondents identifying them as such. And what we see with that is the consumer saying, we trust the source of creation. And in fact, in certain markets in North America and Europe, consumers actually elected musicians and contemporary artists above even industry insiders. And the consumer is skeptical. And then on the other side, we have industry respondents, 78% reporting influencers important to sales and brand image. So we see a huge disconnect between what the industry expects of social media and influencer impact and what the consumer wants. And similarly, when we ask consumers what the most important brand factors are, we have product quality design, brand legacy, creative director, and social media fell short. And what we see here is a very discerning consumer. As Axel will elaborate on a bit now, this consumer is young, and 80% of our respondents were male. We're talking about 16 to 25-year-old guys saying that they care about brand legacy that they care about creative director and that they care about product quality and design. That's unprecedented in fashion. And this discerning ties into, beyond that, more criticism. 
consumers expect brands to act, they expect brand activism. And in fact, the industry insider underestimated a consumer's willingness to quit a brand due to inappropriate behavior. And so what this ties into is a vocal consumer who expects a lot from brands. And the underlier of that is essentially honesty and authenticity. Well, a bit uh, elaborating on who are those people who participated, uh, who participated in such a large number and so quickly. 73% are under the age of 25. We brought in a bit of a different cut, looked at, well, where's the rest? Actually, it's up to 35. So exactly, actually, that target group, which has quite some buying power. Their average income was 40,000 or, or less. I mean, you can discuss now, is this a lot? For young people, it's okay, but they do spend a tremendous amount of their income, a tremendous amount of their share of wallet for fashion, for streetwear. And that's what we think is extremely exciting because typically we more see a shift from away from buying merchandise to spending money for experiences, for events, for concerts, for travel, and so on and so forth. That's what the industry is suffering from. In this segment, it's actually way different. They spend a very, very significant part of their income for fashion, and they spend a lot. Sort of the, the hot zone for a streetwear item is 100 to $300 a piece. That led to up to $500 a month for quite a young target group. So it has a meaning, and we will come back to this, why it has a meaning, because it's beyond physical product. We think that that's really important. It's not spending money, it's an experience beyond physical product. And it differs. It really differs uh, among the regions. As said before, we covered all the regions. It was in different languages. Interestingly, I would like to point out this one. Highest scoring on it is a political statement. It has a meaning. It was the main driver for the respondents in Asia. 41% of the people in China and Japan said, this is a political statement for me. The way I dress, the kind of brands I connect to, the peer group I interact with, it's a political statement. It was very, very low in North America and Correct. Europe, 14% only. Japan, even higher spent than in the US. Very important. At the same time, the role streetwear has the community aspects, you can truly see how are the cultures and how different are they. Asia more single person culture. For the North American and European consumers, this was extremely important. That is this part of belonging to a group, to a bigger audience, to a community. And I'll actually jump in here, Axel, as, as well. I, you know, I think what we see here is markets are dynamic and streetwear are dynamics. And to think that there are millions of kids that are spending $1,000 on a pair of sneakers is probably a little bit naive. <laughs> but what streetwear has done, and this is the way fashion has traditionally worked, what streetwear has done is make a brand of cool so tight that people who are not part of it are willing to pay a lot of money to get in. So the core streetwear consumer, these hungry kids who are willing to wait in line, are the ones that drive the demand behind that product or even behind that type of product. And that's why then luxury brands are then able to sell a pair of sneakers at $1,000. Because the people who can't afford it, whether it's in new markets or whether it's older consumers, our older consumers also reported spending much more than younger consumers, are gonna want to buy into that. And they're willing to pay a high price tag to do so. How does the industry work? 
what is what is happening behind the scenes? What are the levers to create a scenario where young consumers spend so much money, where the attitude is so positive, the growth is so strong? It's a lot about scarcity, and scarcity has quite a few dimensions underneath, right? It's not only limited supply, limited quantity. This is more. But indeed, the fact that consumers are willing to queue, 77% of the people we asked are willing to queue for product, is amazing. At the same time, nobody wants to wait anymore. It's get my Uber now, it's Netflix, everything is everywhere and now. I want to have it now. This is different. Why is this different? There's a, there's a perfect recipe underneath to create that kind of positive scarcity. And the industry addresses this recipe along two major dimensions. On the surface, the consumer experience. Underneath, the value chain. And why is that? Um, the consumer experience is not only digital, it's digital and physical. There's physical events, physical moments connected to it with the peers, the kind of hunt for the product, the queuing. This is very important. It's exclusive. That helps the group to stay with each other. And at the same time, it produces social content, right? Very important. It's something people can share. It makes them a co-creator. It's very selective in distribution. You cannot get this product everywhere. It's easier because you can find out on a digital way, but you have to put some effort up to the dimension that there is a own resale market for that product. What, what is underneath? Certainly there is the element of drops. You, you could argue, well, back in the very old days, people bought you know, their, their winter jackets in July because they were anxious that at the middle of the season they were sold out. This is gone, right? Back in the first days of Zara and fast fashion, People bought it immediately because they were afraid if they come back tomorrow. So it's not so new, but the way they play it, it's new because it's an event. Drops are an event. It's a bit of a roadway towards the launch. People experience this together and do the countdown. And then it's linked to a continuous limited supply of newness, which makes it exciting. There's always new stuff coming in in small quantities. But just doing drops wouldn't work at all. A key one is it's innovative. It's innovation in design linked to new stuff like co-branding, right? Mixing streetwear with luxury, something which would be like 10 years ago unacceptable. There is new product, new looks, new mixture of brands that makes it really exciting. It's direct to consumer. To an extent we haven't seen it before, Consumers rely on the personal interaction with the brands, in particular in luxury. They want to buy it from the source, from the brands. They want to talk directly with the brands. Last but not least, brand activism. You need to ensure that your brand plays along all the dimensions in a proper way, and you need to be true regarding your DNA and heritage. Right? This does not work with anything fake which is not stable. So what, what are the figures, uh, what is the underlying insight which, which led us to those conclusions? Personal connection, I just mentioned. 95%, 95% of the respondents, and this is across all markets, they prefer to buy directly from the source, from the brand store or the website. I think it's about the same relevance of stores and online. Correct. Uh, you, you can look up the numbers, but 
Interestingly, stores, physical retail, plays a very significant role in that segment. It's the event of buying. Queuing, it's positive. Yeah. They expect this to be personal. Personal certainly has this part of social media, and as, as Enrique has told us before, it has a bit of two dimensions. The social media where the peer group contributes and creates versus the paid, the planned content directly from the brand or via influencers. It needs to be authentic. Then very important, it's always on style. How can this be? How, how does this work in a segment where people actually think they're a bit like the avant-garde, the forehead? They're, they're leaders, they're breaking boundaries. At the same time, it's expensive and that's okay because if they have one of these signature products, it's gonna last. They can wear it for a very, very long time. It's valuable. Now, recapping a bit, let's say, to the overall market, fashion, fast fashion, has not become a product, you would say. It lasts. I'm pretty sure only very few people have their favorite items. This, this one or two sweaters they wear for years, and the rest is sort of in and out. And I'll, I'll add to this that that connection that a streetwear consumer makes with product, again, going back to authenticity and going back to the way that this exclusivity works, it's about much more than price point. People have a very connect and direct connection to this product, which we've definitely seen with luxury fashion with a handbag, but now you see it with anyone feeling that way about a t-shirt or about a hoodie and definitely about sneakers. So it's rather by small quantity, by one item, but then this item is spot on. It's really amazing than buying 15 t-shirts and wearing them once or twice. Stock X, amazing, right? I mean, this is just out there because there is this market. At the same time, it fuels the market. And at the end of the day, it addresses a very, very simple dynamic. You always have to ensure that demand sort of is always slightly higher than the supply. That makes it exciting and then you can play with it. And certainly there's underlying mechanisms like, you know, if, if there's short supply, it makes it interesting because not everybody can put that much effort into it to get that merchandise. And that helps you to prevent very, very simple things. Your mother wouldn't go for the effort, your father neither. So I can assure if I'm spending my time to catch that item, buy it on resale, that not so many other people will put their effort into it and wear the same things. So very important, merchandise is desirable again, right? You put effort in it, you're not sure if you get one. Exciting, it's fun. And the fun really starts uh, getting real if there's drops releases in stores. Uh, we've mentioned the 77% already. So, how can this be? Why do people queue? Does it make any sense? Indeed it does, because it's a physical experience. It's part of the community. You want to be the first, it's a hunt. It addresses very nice uh, requirements. Sign of success, and very important, again, you share something. This is a once in a lifetime moment. You put immediately back into the social media and you get reward from your targets, uh, from your peers. And last but not least, it opens up a possibility to resale. So consumers become sellers because they put effort into it and it's very relevant. 31% for clothes, for shoes. 31% of consumers buy stuff on resale. New stuff, used stuff, amazing. For product which is pretty much close to throwaway in the normal categories, right? We, we see this in very, very high luxury, but not in this segment. And this is interesting, the industry is aware that there is a shift, right? We see those business models across different areas. You can rent things. There's a shift from 
owning to using to experiencing, but here the, the, the community is part of this. So how to overcome all of those challenges? We heard consumers are terribly skeptical. They don't believe, let's say, planned campaigns, influencers, they want to make a product great by themselves. And we thought Alexandra Arnaud put it in very nice words. Brands need to stay true to themselves. That's the precondition. You need to stay true, you need to be authentic, and then do something, have an own point of view, create and set a trend and play to the community, right? Yes, and I'll add to this, uh, you know, I think staying true to your brand DNA has probably been a directive that brands have long operated under, but what's different here is the way that the audience works, the way that the audience reacts. So whereas brands before maybe were able to get away with inauthentic attempts at tapping into certain communities, they can't anymore, and especially with streetwear and especially with the mindset that drives streetwear, which is connected to so much more than just fashion, as we said. It's all of these other cultural components and we really see it manifested within social media. It's who has the power. With traditional fashion, tastemakers had the power. It was trickle down. But now what we see is for the first time, luxury fashion is not just taking style from the streets, it's taking direction from the streets themselves. So we've just given you an overarching view of the report. There's four main sections. Defining streetwear, measuring streetwear, how streetwear talks, and how streetwear sells. There's a total of 20 visualizations where you can go and explore and see a lot of the data points that we talked about more in depth. Um, and we're so happy to have been able to share this with you guys. Yeah. And I think we'll open up for yeah. two or three questions. Anyone has anything they'd like to ask? Mm -hmm. uh, and it might be further looking at the report. Um, I know you covered a lot about men's streetwear, and I know it's primarily probably your reader consumer. I just want to know what do you think is on the brink of the future of streetwear with women? And have you seen like Rihanna launch Absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely in the beginning of the report, you know. The report as a whole, we definitely look at streetwear as a whole, continuing looking at all genders. And actually one of the really interesting findings was that non-binary identifying respondents reported spending significantly more than both female and male respondents. Um, and especially at the beginning, you know, we talk about how this did start, yes, as this sort of boys club mentality, but that has definitely, definitely shifted. And it's much bigger now. And it's not just for men at all, it's for everyone. And in fact, this mindset that it's adopting goes into all of these different categories that really is for everyone. I think also what we, what we found out, there's certainly, yeah, you can even call it the, the core of streetwear, so really the, the lighthouse product, those all of you have in mind. But at least as important is the, is the spillover into more normal categories, into things we wear, I wear, where it's getting commercialized. So this balance of having the lighthouse products out there, what are the luxury houses doing, what are the streetwear brands doing, the sports brands are doing, 
and how does it influence the bulk of the business, the commercial part where you buy, where you sell millions of pairs. That's also very interesting. And we think those, those principles we see now within this key segment, but they spill over more and more. Authenticity, be true to yourself. People expect much more from brands again than they did in the past. Yes, please, yeah. Is there any correlation between uh, the income of the, of the people you study and their net worth? Could their net worth be significantly more than their reported income? Or could their parents' net worth there's, there's definitely an element where there are so many different things in this market. And you know, even if you're thinking about a young consumer who's flipping product and they're u then using that product to sell. And what we saw specifically with, uh, with the breakdown, which there is a visualization for this in the report, if you look at the spending of people who reported buying more resale, they spend more. So you have this sort of very granular market where you have some people reselling and forming a whole business out of that. You have the kids who are willing to wait in line to get it, and then you have the people who don't want to wait in line and are willing to pay the premium. So it's all these different facets, yes. And there's definitely that element of people having money from resale or from parents or whatever it might be. Was one, one more somewhere here? Yeah. Um, was there any discussion or anything about with certain I think there's I think there's definitely an underlying question which is overall streetwear is sort of comes from this on the ground movement so it's actually a bit of a paradox that something like Supreme can you know receive this crazy investment but Supreme seems to be doing just fine so uh, that specifically is a question that we've explored um, and I've explored over the past years and it is sort of this paradox but what you see happening as well is that there's always a new consumer. So the person who made Supreme Cool however many years ago might not be the same exact person still buying it, although they probably still are. But So it's that kind of dynamic market. Yeah. One or two more? The, so 40,000, yeah. any top line demos that you can break out age? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's. Uh, they all come from hype piece or yeah, we. So it was all hype piece. So it was really on purpose. Let's deep dive. Let's jump into those those people. Um, also, I think what what you can see can you do the rollover because that's really nice. If you go through the report, there's there's all the distribution and even you can uh, think you can roll over here and see all the details. So actually, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So the report is now live. It's on our homepage, and here, you know, we definitely welcome you and invite you to come and check it out and yeah. get crazy with it. And yeah, beyond this, um, if there's any further thoughts, can you make a split, man, whether it's women and so on and so forth? I think we're more, more than happy to continue the discussion. Right? That is not supposed to be a, a doctor thesis. Uh, we think there's a lot out there, uh, but certainly we're more than happy to continue dialogue uh, and discuss. And certainly we, we would also be very, very interested more to hear what are your thoughts on the, on the main challenges or, yeah. the, or the questions you ask yourself, uh, how to handle this, how to benefit from it. Yes? How do you reconcile, I mean, streetwear, how does it reconcile high volumes with, you know, 
Yeah. That's uh, one, of, one of the magic questions we, uh, <laughs> we sort of put money on uh, that it's got asked. No, it's, it's indeed the key one. So in other words, I would say, does this only work for small quantities, meaning it, it can never be a serious business from a, let's say, overall commercial perspective. And I, I tend to agree for some extent. Um, and what I mean is looking at the overall range, you do need those, those very limited products. Looking at the principles, indeed, I do see it uh, popping up in a lot of markets. So cars, which are easily available in these days, particularly in Germany, because nobody wants to buy the diesel anymore, they start doing premier editions, limited editions for the launch and so on and so forth. So the principle of creating, and I would call it a feeling of scarcity, um, is very important. And it's important for the consumer because it's a counter movement to everything is available, it's just a click away. And I think Josh speaks to this really well and it's about this tipping point between scarcity and demand. And basically if your product is not selling out, if you're trying to adopt a drops model and your product is not selling out, you're not doing it right. The moment demand increases supply, it's over. So what's Supreme, it doesn't matter how many they sell, it still sells out instantly. And the consumer, because they're so vocal and they're so on the ground and they see it, they know when something's not hyped. They can see that it didn't hit StockX at 500% markup. So in that sense, with that demand, that's kind of, it's that tipping point that really dominates it. Good. Thank you guys so much. We'd definitely like to take, thank PwC, Hypebeast. I would personally like to thank my team that helped me with this report, Jay Chung, Emily Jensen, Jake Silbert, um, and so many people on both sides that worked on this thing for a year and a half to make it happen. So thank you so much, and thank you for joining us.